of the sparse plains of Canaan walked a boy. One of twelve sons of a successful herdsman, the boy could have easily been lost to history. But the boy became a man, and that man became a legend. This month on the Legends Channel, the legend of Joseph Jacobson. Join us as we explore the life and times of the man who lived through epic struggle, famine, and eventually arrived at success and power few could ever imagine. Who could have predicted the chain of events set in motion by a coat of many colors? Well, everybody believes that it started with the coat, but it started way before that. Uh, That's my frustration with this whole uh, legend thing. It's not the whole story. If you sugarcoat it, you don't get at all the facts. You don't get at the truth. Which uh, Did you see Donny Osmond on Broadway, by the way? <laughs> Great job. Great job. I, I, I didn't see a penny from it, but, you know. But uh, the, the tension between my brothers and I uh, started way before the coat. Uh, what can I say? Uh, Dad liked me best. <laughs> Joseph's brothers were enraged at his privileged status with his father. Finally, their jealousy erupted into violence, and they decided to kill him. They dropped him into a well and made their plans. Well, I was in this deep hole looking up, getting sand in my eyes when I heard Reuben's voice. Reuben was the older brother I could always count on, you know, and I just knew things were going to start going my way. I mean, I mean, you know, the, the well had no water in it. I mean, how great was that? I mean, sure, I plummeted 200 feet and broke a couple of bones and had a displaced hip, but that's nothing when you can't swim, <laughs> you know? I mean, I could have been treading waters for a few hours, but, you know, uh, you know, God's in the little things. Although Joseph's brother Reuben successfully convinced the other to spare the teenager's life, Joseph was sold to a traveling caravan headed for Egypt. Taken as a slave out of the land of his birth and leaving behind a doting father who now believed his favorite son was dead. I won't lie, I was scared. But when they brought me into the slave markets, out of all the people that were buying and out of all the slaves that were being sold that day, the captain of the guard One of Pharaoh's most trusted men picks me. Joseph served as a slave in a luxurious home. His management skills became quickly apparent to his new owner, Potiphar, who placed Joseph Jacobson in charge of his entire household. Perhaps it was jealousy that once again delivered a terrible reversal of fortune for Joseph. Everybody knew what was going on once Potiphar's wife... Uh, was making the accusations that I was making unwanted advances. It it was just laughable, ridiculous, really. Well, let's put it this way. I get a lot of credit for running away. Again, it's the legend thing, but if you would have seen her, uh, you you would have been with her. (laughs) God was with me. Let's just put it that way. Potiphar was furious when his wife accused his most trusted servant of attempted rape. 
Physical evidence now shows that Joseph indeed resisted her advances and escaped out a side door even as she tore off his clothing. Well, it was bad for a while. Uh, Potiphar couldn't look me in the eye. He threw me in prison. And as far as he was concerned, I would never see the light of day again. Left in prison for life, sold by his own brothers and accused of a terrible crime, Joseph Jacobson had every reason to give up all hope. Well, not actually. Yes, you did. No, no. I'm telling you, things are starting to look up again. Uh, The head warden loved to play pinochle, and so did I. So we get along great. And he put me in charge of all the work assignments for all the other prisoners, putting me in the perfect position. Again. (laughs) You know, that time in jail, I met a lot of great people. It was a good times. (laughs) You play pinochle? Tune in next week on the Legends Channel for Joseph Jacobson, The Legend, Part 2. When you'll hear Joseph claim... No, I wasn't living in denial. Well, uh, technically, I was living beside denial. You know, you can't live in denial. Because <laughs> it's water. We will do anything to help you remember God's word, the stories of God's word. So... <clears throat> This is our new series called The Legend of Joe Jacobson. We're going to be looking at this for three weeks, and I'm going to start with a question that I'm going to come back to over and over. And here's the question. What would someone in your circumstances do if, um, if they were certain that God was with them? So think about this. With what you have, what you don't have, with your, with your successes, with your failures, with all the resources you have, what would someone in your situation do if they knew absolutely certainly that God was with them? Um, so a senior in high school doesn't get into the college of their choice. What would that senior in high school do if they knew that God was with them? Maybe your marriage is falling apart and, and you don't have any answers of what to do next. What would a person in your situation do if they were absolutely certain that God was with them? That question is going to lead us where God wants us to be in this series. And that question is everywhere in the life of Joseph. We're going to be looking at it for the next three weeks. When we pick up the story, Joseph is 17 years old, and we're going to follow him into his early 30s by the time we get to the end of this series. Three things I want you to remember about Joseph throughout the whole series. Here they are. Number one, um, he I had to, I changed it. So his life was so bad, it makes your life look good. All right. Joseph had it so bad. You're going to see it in this story today. His life was so bad. You should feel good about your life. Number two, he reached a level of riches and power that we can never reach. Even if publishers clearing house shows up at your door and you get $5,000 a week for the rest of your life, you will never get to the place that Joseph reached with power and riches. And number three, he had the chance to destroy the people who hurt him. And when he had that chance to destroy them, not only did he not seek revenge, he blessed those people beyond their wild dreams. So this is kind of a, kind of a crazy, crazy story in his life. Three extremes beyond which you and I could never experience. All right. We will never get there. And in each of those extremes, Joseph will do exactly what you would expect a person in his situation to do if they were absolutely certain that God was with them. And here's what I hope you're going to learn, not just from this Bible story, but in your own life, as you start living this out, when you live as if God is with you, in the middle of your circumstances, you will see God in your circumstances. And I'll explain that in just a minute. He was there all along. You just were blind to him. 
Uh, as I was studying this, I thought about the first sermon I ever preached was on Hebrews 11.1. 1, and here it is in the New Living Translation. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith opens our eyes to spiritual truth that we cannot see without faith. Last week in his sermon, Casey talked about the cares of life choke out any spiritual fruit that God may be trying to produce in your life. The cares of life also blind us to the reality that God is with us. God is everywhere around us. We don't see his presence. It's like that fog that Janie and I experienced in Galveston last week. I've been on lots of cruises. I've been around the ocean. I've been all kinds of places. And I've never heard the captain say, we have zero visibility, zero feet visibility. We went up on the deck and we looked and sure enough, our, our ship is as long as a football field. And there's another ship about 400 yards away. It's as long as a football field. There are tankers out there parked outside, parked, um, uh, anchored outside the, the port of Galveston. And you could not see them because it was so foggy. And, and when you leave Galveston, you can see the, the, uh, the buildings of downtown Galveston. They're, they're tall enough. You can see them for miles. And anywhere you are, you are on the island, just about, you can see these massive cranes that they use to load all of the ships that come in and out. None of that was visible from the deck of our ship. Did that mean they weren't there? No, the reality was they were there, but we were blind. We could not see them. The cares of life have a way of blinding us to the reality that God is with us. Now, no matter where you find yourself today, you could be in the valley of the shadow of death. You could be on the mountaintop where you and God are just tight, or you could be anywhere in between. If you'll take a deep breath, push the pause button for just a minute and begin asking this question. What would a person in my circumstances do if they were absolutely certain that God was with them? Your life will be radically different and you'll begin to see God in the valley of the shadow of death. You'll begin to see God on the mountaintop. You'll begin to see God everywhere in between. Now we're in Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to start. And if you're new to the Bible, this Joseph we're talking about is not Mary and Joseph. He is hundreds and hundreds of years before the Christmas story. Uh, in fact, almost 2,000 years before the Christmas story is when this is taking place. And we are actually at the beginning of the Jewish people. Genesis chapter 37, the beginning of the Jew- Jewish people. If you remember anything about your history, God came to a man named Abraham. The Bible says Abraham believed in God and God credited to him as righteousness. Called Abraham a friend of God. Abraham has a son named Isaac. He actually had two sons. One was named Ishmael. Ishmael was born to a servant girl. Ishmael wasn't supposed to be part of the deal. Isaac was always part of the deal. So So Abraham has Isaac. He has Ishmael. We'll see Ishmael in a minute. He kind of messes things up. And then Isaac has Jacob. Jacob then has children. So here's the deal. At that time, there was no nation of Israel. At that time, there there was no Bible. There were no prophets, no school of prophets, no churches. There were just a bunch of stories passed down from generation to generation about God interacting with people. And it it was such a deal that this God was actually called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of his interaction with those people. We're going to pick it up in verse two, chapter 37. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So Jacob had several wives. God never intended for us to have multiple wives. One wife that's always been God's plan. Jesus said that was God's plan. It was God's plan from the beginning. But this guy had several wives. It caused a lot of family issues. One of them was that Joseph loved to tattletale on his brothers. And that's what he was doing in this situation. 
Pick it up. Now, Israel, also called Jacob, he'd had his name changed by this time. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe for him or a multicolored robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than he loved any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. There's some levels of hate going on here. They hated him because he was his daddy's favorite. He had a dream. They hated him because of the dream. Then he tells them the dream. He said, hey, check out this dream. There's going to be a day when you're going to bow down to me. They hated him all the more. Then he has another dream. He says, not only will you, all my brothers bow down to me, there's going to be a day mom and dad are going to bow down to me. They hate him. Levels of hate, hate, hate. So there's some family drama going on here. And let me ask a couple of questions. Is it Joseph's fault that he's having dreams about the future? Nope. We're going to blame that one on God. So it's partially God's fault. Is it Joseph's fault that he's his daddy's favorite? No, his, his dad was an idiot to show that. But let me just give you an example. I'm the fourth of four children. I was the baby of the family. It's not my fault. My brothers still to this day say, you're the baby of the family. Talk to God. I did not choose the order. I welcomed it. Mom would say, well, I can't buy you more. I said, yes, you can. I'm the baby. You're supposed, supposed to spoil me. It's okay. But it's their fault, not my fault. I, I welcomed it, but it's, it's not my fault that I was I was the baby. So it's partially God's fault. It's partially Jacob's fault. It's also partially Joseph's fault because he tattled on his brothers and he said, I have a dream and let me share this dream with you. So serious family issues going on. All right. So in this passage we just read, he's out with his brother um, watching the sheep. Now, a few verses later, it says that dad says to Joseph, go and see what your brothers are doing. He knew they were out with the, with the herd. He says, go find your brothers and bring me a report. Now, number one, I want to know why Joseph wasn't working. We know why Joseph wasn't working. He was a daddy's boy. He was, he was at home. But anyway, he loved to go check up on his brothers. So where, where Jacob lived was in Bethel. And when you have a herd, you have to go wherever there's green grass. And so they had gone to Shechem. By the time Joseph went to find them, they weren't in Shechem anymore. And he asked around and they had gone to Dothan. So they are a long ways from home and they're watching the the horizon. They probably know that daddy's going to send him to give a report. They see him coming. They're not happy. Look what they say. Here comes that dreamer. They didn't say it nicely. They said to each other, come now let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So Joseph is the guy who goes, I have a dream. And he shares the dream and they're bowing down to him. They hate him. And then they're like, we have a dream. And in it, you're dead. Sibling rivalry. Look what happened. So when Joseph came to his brothers... They stripped him of this robe, the ornate robe he was wearing that his daddy had given him. And they took him and threw him into a cistern, into a pit. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then look at this next sentence. As they sat down to eat their meal, let's kill our brother. And Reuben comes along and says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. Reuben was trying to help out. And they said, okay, let's just throw him in a pit. Who wants pancakes? Me, me, me. I want pancakes. I'm hungry. It's a, it's, it work up an appetite throwing your brother in a pit. They just finished pouring the syrup on their pancakes. They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. I don't even have time to get into Ishmaelites. Read the story yourself about how Ishmael messed things up and how Ishmael is still, the descendants of Ishmael are still messing up the Middle East. That's, you can do that on your own. Uh, their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Now, 
if you are, are in a family with more than one child, especially if you have older siblings, you've probably been picked on by the older brothers or sister or whatever. My sister had a mouth that would go 100 miles an hour 24-7. Now, I didn't have so many issues because I was the baby, but my older brothers and my sister had conflict. One day when I was about six or seven years old, Mom and dad take me to Amarillo to see the ice capades. Some of you don't even know what that is. So it's just an ice skating exhibition show. We go and see that. They leave uh, Larry, Terry, and Cheryl, leave them at home with the instructions, don't kill each other. So my sister would always say, I don't have to listen to you because sis would always, dad was always working in the garage. Mom was always in the house. And sis would run out and say, dad, the boys, dad would come in. Wouldn't even listen to the story. No investigation, no justice. He would whip my brothers. And then as soon as he would leave, my mom would say, you're lying. And mom would whip sis. And I'm just sitting there eating popcorn, you know, having a good old time going, this is awesome. I've watched so much. I actually became very devious because I, anyway, that's another story. So they would get in all this trouble. Well, we left, mom and dad and I left and, and Larry and Terry and sis were there. They were supposed to clean the kitchen. They got into an argument cleaning the kitchen. And, and I'd actually forgotten this until just now. I think my sister, we always had sweet tea because that's all you drank. You didn't drink water. You didn't drink soda. You drank sweet tea. And by sweet tea, there is not a person on the planet who makes it as sweet as my mama did. Anyway, so sis pours out the tea, then my brothers didn't get it. And they said, you're going to make some more. She said, no, I'm not. So they go and they pick her up, carry her out to the front yard, strap her to the fence. This is April in, 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 uh, in the panhandle of Texas. It was cold outside. They hose her down going, ha, ha, ha. She's screaming. It's this huge scene. Nowadays, there would have been cops called. And then somewhere in the process, my brothers go, ooh, dad's coming home. So they get sis down and they'll tell you, anyway, this was this big thing. So here's, here's what I want you to think about. Joseph's brothers throw him in a pit and he's like, oh yeah, that was pretty bad. But hey guys, I'm hungry too. Save me some pancakes. And the brothers are up there. They're just eating. And I said, you hear anything? Nope. Pass the biscuits. And they just keep on eating. Takes an incredibly hard heart to throw your brother in a pit. You originally planned to kill him. Okay, we won't kill him. We'll just throw him in a pit till we decide what to do. Hard heart. Takes a harder heart to do what happens next. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? And they're like, he'll be gone. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. Let's, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Our own flesh and blood. And his brothers go, great idea. We kill him, we don't get money. We sell him, we make money. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. How could a good God allow this? What had Joe done wrong? Dreams, not his fault. He was the favorite, not his fault. Come on, God, where's the justice in this? He's not totally innocent, but he's not that bad. He's a decent guy. Where's the justice? There's no justice here. And what do you think's going through Joseph's mind? Put that map back up there if you would. So he's up here in Dothan. It's about 200 miles down here to Egypt. 
It's going to take at least a week to get there in a caravan. In the caravan, he's either shackled to some animal or some cart, or maybe he's in a cart that has, has uh, bars on the side, some type of rolling jail cell, and he's got a lot of time. Here's what I think is going through his mind. Why is this happening to me? I think he's thinking, what is going to happen when I get there? I think he's thinking, where is God? He's thinking all of this stuff. Because if there's, if there's, God, if you're a good God, you're not doing your job. Why is this happening to me? Have you ever asked those questions? Why is this happening to me, God? Where are you, God? Do you even see because you got your coordinates wrong? I'm right here. And you're doing nothing. You ever done that? If you didn't know the end of the story... You'd be confused because this is the point where the, where the accuser slithers up and says, did God really say that? Did God really say he'd be with you? Did God really say you shouldn't have sex before marriage? Did God really say you should be faithful to your marriage? Did God really say, and he gets all of these things in your mind. Did God really say that? Because if you're looking for God in this story, he's not shown up yet. Now, if you get bored this week, you need to read chapter 38. I don't know why chapter 38 is right here. It's about Judah, the oldest, and he gets in some serious trouble. And, and it, is, it, is, it is crazier than any soap opera you've ever watched. It's crazier than any romance novel. I don't know. But we're going to skip to chapter 39 because that's where we pick back up with Joseph. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And here's another sentence that just kind of jumps out at us. The Lord was with Joseph. If God was with Joseph, he should have been home with his daddy and his evil brothers should have been in in Egypt in slavery. Right? Because God, the way... No offense, God, but the way you do things, the good guy has good things happen to him. The bad guys have bad things happen to him. Even Hollywood knows this is how you sell a movie. God, you got it messed up. You couldn't possibly be with Joseph. You ever felt like that? God, I know you said you were going to be with me, but I don't feel like you're with me. Have you ever looked at someone else's life and said, God's with them? How come God's not with me? And then when you're really, really honest, you say, God, I'm better than them. How come you're with them and you're not with me? This isn't fair. I go to church, I serve, I give. Everything I touch turns to garbage. Everything they touch turns to gold. What is up with you, God? The Lord is with Joseph. My question at this point is where? Let's pick it up. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. 
This Egyptian did not even believe in the same God. This is a crazy, crazy story because Joseph lived in a nomadic life. They lived in tents. They were, they were shepherds. They would follow, go wherever they could to, to shepherd their flocks and, and feed their flocks. They came to Egypt. Egypt spoke a different language. Socioeconomically, they were way above the Jewish people. In fact, they thought that shepherds were the lowest people on the planet. So he had a language barrier. He had a socioeconomic barrier. He had a religious barrier because they did not believe in the God that he followed. They had many gods. And then Jewish tradition tells us that Joseph lived in Potiphar's house for about a year. It is phenomenal that in a year he learned the language. He became such a good worker that he was second in command in Potiphar's house. Crazy, crazy story. The only reason he hap- that happened is because God was with him. He was with him so strongly that Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he trusted to his care everything he owned. See, here's the thing. When you live as if you are certain that God is with you, other people will notice that God is with you. When you live like you're certain God is with you, then then you'll begin to see God in your circumstances. But when you live like you're certain God is with you, people around say, God is with you. They notice that. And, And what do you think caused Potiphar to notice that God was with Joseph? You know what he was doing? He was doing what anybody in his situation would have done if they were certain that God was with them. He wasn't whining about his circumstances. He wasn't trying to change his circumstances yet. He's going to try in a minute and he's going to fail at that, but not yet. He was living in the midst of his circumstances as if God was with him. And see, that's your your one assignment. When you go through difficult times, you will go through difficult times. You have one assignment. That assignment is to live as if you're absolutely certain that God is with you. Let's pick it up the next verse. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Time out. The Lord blessed whom? The Egyptian because of whom? Joseph. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is great, God, that you're going to bless my master because of me, but I need a little love too. Could you maybe bless me because of me? The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now the plot thickens. I love the Bible. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. He was a hottie. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. He was very clear on what she wanted him to do. (laughs) And who's pursuing whom? She, she was a cougar before there was a term. Nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything's already been done. And, and he's thinking, okay, if I say yes, Nothing good is going to come of that because I don't know if you've seen this. Nothing good comes of adultery. If he says no, mama's not happy. And when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Travis said that with conviction, this service. (laughs) Somehow with no Bible, no church, no Ten Commandments, Joseph was being faithful to God. And he was being excellent in the job that he had. And it costs him. 
She says, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Idiot. No, that's my my translation. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against whom? Oh, wait, 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 wait. How could he sin against God who seems to be absent, who seems to have forgotten where he is? How could Joseph stay committed to a God who does nothing in his favor? Somehow in the midst of this whole thing, with no Bible, with only traditions of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph figured out it's not my job to understand all the circumstances that I find myself in. It's my job to live as if God is with me. So he did what he was supposed to do. So here's a little nugget for you. Never make life-altering decisions in the midst of difficult circumstances. Joseph said, I can't do this because that would cause me to sin against my God. Now, do you ever find it difficult to remain faithful to God when you feel like God hasn't been faithful to you? I know I'm not supposed to ask a question like that in church because you don't want to answer. Because if you've gone through the valley of the shadow of death or if you've gone through the valley of the shadow of doubt, you've found it hard to trust God when you don't think he's being faithful. See, being patient isn't working. I'm single, I've been single my whole life, and God, you're not working. Doing the right thing isn't working. Going to church isn't working. Giving to the church isn't working. Being a good person isn't working. That must mean God's not working. Right? That's what the world will tell you. See, every day you have two choices to make. First is live based on what you can see. I see bad circumstances. That must mean God doesn't care. That must, that's what Satan, the father of lies, is going to whisper in your ear. Either God doesn't care or he isn't powerful enough to help you. Did God really say? You can live based on what you see or you can live based on what you know. God is with us. He's with every person who has ever bowed the knee to his authority. Joe lived on based, what, based on what he knew. And see, here's the crazy thing. Joseph didn't have Easter. We had Easter where Jesus said, I love you this much. He stretched out his arms. He died on a cross. He was laid in a tomb and he was raised the third day. We have that. But we forget to look at our circumstances based on what the cross. Joseph didn't have that. And he lived as if God was with him based on the stories of his daddy and his granddad and his great granddad. Look what happens. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One of the reasons we have a policy here at this church, we, we are not in this building with someone of the opposite sex unless we're related to them. We don't get in a car with someone of the opposite sex unless we are related to them. It comes from this story, this principle right here. We're not going to even, we're not going to talk about it. You know, the reason Eve sinned is because she debated Satan. Joseph didn't debate. He refused to, to, to go to bed with her or even be in the same room with her because, and if that had stayed, and then this, it wasn't his fault, but look what happens. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. And mama's not happy because mama was turned down. And so what does mama do? She makes everybody unhappy. 
And who do you think Potiphar is going to believe? This lowly Hebrew slave or his wife, who's probably a princess, maybe even related to Pharaoh. Who's he going to believe? Joe gets rewarded for his faithfulness to God by being punished with the sentence he would have received if he had sinned. Thank you, God, for nothing. Here it is, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Don't you think he prayed, God, could you be with someone else for a while? Because since you've been with me, I've been betrayed by my brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, accused and convicted of a rape I did not commit and thrown in prison. I need a break, God. Could you go be with my brothers? Be with them. Because I don't want to be with you in prison because I don't want to be in prison. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I don't want favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I don't want to be with the prison warden. Shouldn't you keep me away from it? If you're with me, keep me from the prison warden. Just saying, God, you got this messed up. And if you know the rest of the story, the crazy thing is not only did God allow this to happen to Joseph, God orchestrated it. We don't know the why yet, but we're going to find it. Not, not today. We'll find it next week. We'll get a little taste today. And you know what Joseph did in prison? What anybody would do in his situation if he was absolutely certain that God was with him. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, how many of you in this room would have bailed on God long before the prison scene if this were your story. We pray, God, you need to show up. You need to show up in the next three and a half minutes or I'm out of here. It's only when you expect God in your circumstances that you experience God in your circumstances in a supernatural way. If you don't believe God is with you, if you don't expect God to show up, you're not going to see him. And we bail on God all the time right before he's going to do something miraculous. Because what happens next is crazy. The cupbearer to Pharaoh, the one who tastes the cup to make sure it's not poison, the cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh show up in prison. They have dreams. Who do we know who dreams? Joseph. Cupbearer tells Joseph his dream and Joseph goes, man, I got good news. Three days, you're out of here and you're getting your job back. And here's where he tries to take circumstances in his own hands. Look what he says. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Not like the kindness God has shown me. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joe wasn't happy about his circumstances. You don't have to be happy about your circumstances, but you are not God and you cannot know the truth of your circumstances until you hear from God. If you're an experiencing God, you're going to hear that statement over and over again. So in the midst of your circumstances, you act like God is there. You believe God is there. Well, the, the baker, he's, he decides to tell his dream since there was a favorable interpretation for the cupbearer. And Joseph goes, uh, you're getting out of here in three days too, but in a different way. Look what happens. Verse 20. 
Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker. Actually, the literal translation is he hanged the the baker. So he killed him. Just as Joseph had said to them in the interpretation, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. That's a happy ending. Except it's not the end. We're not going to get the happy ending until next week and the week after. You got to come back for that. Joseph could have lived based on what he saw. He saw evil brothers. He saw slavery. He saw wrongly convicted for a rape he did not commit. He saw prison. He saw the cupbearer forget him. He could have lived based on what he saw and said, God, it's not worth it. But instead, he chose to live based on what he knew. That God was with him. From the age of 17 to 28 is when we're finishing right here tonight, uh, today. Next couple weeks, we'll see him into his 30s. 11 years. It does not seem to be God is there except that the Lord was with him. Except we're told the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him in, in slavery. The Lord is with him in prison. 11 years. We pray for three minutes. And if God doesn't do what we want, when we want, we're out the door turning our back on God. Now, next week... Things are going to take a dramatic turn for the better. The week after that, all his wildest dreams are going to come true. And in the midst of every situation, Joseph did exactly what you would expect a person to do in his situation who knew that God was with him. Now, hundreds of years later, I had all of these different verses and I knew I was going to run out of time so I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't put all these verses on the, on the screen. Hundreds of years later, King David writes probably the most famous psalm, 23rd psalm. He used it all the time at at funerals. And David had gone through some really difficult stuff. And and I'm going to quote a portion of the 23rd psalm, and then you're going to finish the verse for me, and that's going to make all the difference. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, or you are with me. Let's try that again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because... Can I be honest with you today? Most of you aren't living like God is with you. Most of us are living like we're atheists who go to church on Sunday. We go to church because we think then maybe God will pay attention to us. We don't live like we believe that God is with us. We changed our set list today to sing God with us to try to help you remember that God is with you. God being with me makes all the difference because people are going to turn their backs on you. You may lose jobs. You may lose money. You may lose friendships. You may lose all kinds of stuff. But David said, you don't have to be afraid of that. Because God is with us. Did you bow your heads? Father, forgive us for living like atheists. Especially in America, God. Go to Haiti and I see people living like they believe that you're right there beside them. They celebrate you in worship like you're right there. Walk up and down mountains pushing 
wheelbarrows or carrying huge bags of stuff on their back and they believe that you're with them. Teach us what that means. And turn us into a congregation who believes it because God then people are going to people are going to notice. Not only will we see God in our circumstances, other people will see God in our lives and they'll want to know about that God. Change us into that congregation, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.